Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right. So as you heard earlier, potentially concerning development regarding uh, Pfizer's commitment to supply Canada with four million doses of its vaccine by the end of March. Now, we're getting some mixed signals and part of it uh, depends on, you know, how many doses we're able to get from each vial. And is it five? Is it six? So some uncertainty there. But I think the bigger question is, you know, where are we going to be at after March, even if we have six million doses of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines? What about the government's plans to make sure everybody has access to a vaccine by September? Is that still realistic? And even if it is, uh, how much further ahead is the United States going to be and the United Kingdom and other European countries? You know, even if it is September, and that seems like it's best case scenario at this point, uh, we might have months uh, of watching progress in other countries, including our neighbors to the south. Uh, of course, big part of the problem is that we're at the mercy of, you know, not just these pharmaceutical companies, but the countries in which they do business. Uh, Pfizer makes vaccines in the U.S. and in, in Belgium. Uh, Moderna has actually never manufactured a, a vaccine, uh, so they've had to reach out and, and contract with other companies. They're not in Canada. You know, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca may be next to get approved. They're not made here either. And so why is that? Is that just the result of being sort of a, a middle power? I mean, you know, Sanofi is a big pharmaceutical company. They have a, a plant in Toronto, but no plans, as far as we know, to manufacture vaccines there. We spoke the other day with uh, Calgary-based, uh, Canadian-based uh, Providence Therapeutics and Northern RNA, and they say, look, we're prepared to do both, develop vaccines, manufacture them. The government doesn't seem interested in, in reaching out to us. So yeah, I think people are rightly concerned and have questions about, you know, Canada's place in all of this and why we don't have, you know, more of that capacity, that capability here. Well, someone who's seen all of this from the inside and has been writing a lot about this issue recently, including a piece he did last month for Canadian Health Policy, looking at vaccine development capacity and overall management of this whole situation. Now, Paul Lucas is his name, uh, former president and CEO, in fact, at GlaxoSmithKline. It was uh, right there on the inside as we went through a different kind of vaccine situation in the H1N1 pandemic back in 2009. Joins us on the line here this afternoon. Paul, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Good to be here, Rob. Uh, just your thoughts as you watch some of the uncertainty this week. I mean, you know, we're not getting any shipments from Pfizer this week. Some uncertainty about those March targets. I mean, it's leaving people feeling pretty nervous. Is that, that nervousness justified in your view? Yeah, it is justified, but I think, you know, I would encourage people to try and relax a little bit. This is this is really this is really a nervous situation for everybody yeah, no and everybody's anxious and you know, having been through this before and produced the H1N1 vaccine back in 2009, you know, I went through some of the same issues that uh Pfizer is going through right now and Moderna may go through as well and AstraZeneca is as well. 
Uh, keep in mind that these companies have developed these vaccines in record time. Uh, and the world needs to be thankful for that, frankly. I mean, I don't work for the pharmaceutical industry anymore, but if I, as I look at it, uh, the world does need to be thankful to these companies and realize that they're trying to produce billions of doses of vaccine in a very short period of time. So, you know, they're, they're scaling up. They're trying to make that happen. They're looking at every which way they can to make more doses. Uh, and they'll, they'll do it. They'll come along. So I, you know, I would uh, suggest we all take a collective uh, breath and, uh, you know, sigh of relief for a little bit and just realize that the mistake Canada made was that we didn't plan for this and we didn't plan to have domestic capability to produce these kinds of vaccines. And we only ordered six million doses of vaccine by the end of March of this year. So, you know, with all the noise around dosing and regimens and uh, delays and so on, I, I don't think it's going to be a problem for Pfizer and Moderna to deliver those 6 million doses. That is an absolute drop in the bucket globally in terms of the number of doses. And we get excited about it here. But, you know, we should have ordered uh, much more than 6 million doses. Uh, that's going to vaccinate 3 million people by the by the end of March. And that's probably not going to be the end of March because you've got to put that into people. So that'll be April before we vaccinate 3 million people. I mean, the U.S. now is vaccinating over a million people a day. Yeah. The U.K. is, uh, you know, everybody, I think, has seen the numbers. I mean, Israel, U.K., U.S., and the list goes on, are way ahead of Canada uh, in terms of vaccinating its population. And uh, our federal government fell down on this. That's the bottom line. But at the end of the day, Pfizer and Moderna will deliver those 6 million doses by the end of March. I'd be very surprised if they didn't. And I want to talk more about the planning aspect, but just, you know, further note on kind of maybe the glass half full perspective that we have vaccines that have been developed, approved and are being used because we've seen reminders in recent weeks of just how difficult this is. Big players like your former company, GlaxoSmithKline, uh, Merck as well, Sanofi. Um, you know, that, that they had setbacks in, in their vaccine development, that this isn't easy. So, you know, the fact that we've got two really good ones, maybe more to be approved here. I mean, it is, it is quite remarkable, isn't it? It is remarkable. Um, and I think we do have to stop and realize that. I mean, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, the, the scientists and the experts said, you know, the fastest we've ever we've developed a vaccine was the mumps vaccine, and it took four years. Well, that was a different day. I mean, the resources applied to developing this vaccine have been unprecedented. And, you know, I think, you know, Canadians don't like to hear this, but we have the U.S. administration to thank uh, to a great degree for the fact that these vaccines are available now. They put $12 billion into those companies, not Pfizer specifically. The U the U the uh, Germany actually put money into Pfizer, mm -hmm. um, but uh, the U.S. put a lot of money into Moderna. They put $4 billion into Moderna to help them develop this vaccine quickly. So they have to take a lot of credit for this. Uh, but you're right. I mean, there are, there are a lot of glitches along the way. I went through that in 2009 with H1N1. You know, we were developing a vaccine. The government of Canada Public Health decided they wanted a, a bit of a different vaccine, one that was adjuvanted, so it was more powerful. We had to, you know, revamp production and try and get that vaccine done. So 
things happen. In fact, I think I remember that we had the same dose in the number of doses in the bottle issue back then too. Right? Because at the end of the, yeah, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how many vials you have. What matters is how many doses you have, and whether you know if you've got if you can get six out of a vial, you know you've just significantly increased the number of doses you can deliver. So. Uh, that thing is, you know, the whole issue of six versus five is really good news uh, and allows Pfizer to deliver more doses. So let's talk about the failure to plan. And as you say, I mean, there are varying degrees of that. There's, you know, decisions that were made last year about signing deals and placing orders. There are decisions that go back a lot further, I suppose, and ensuring that, you know, we had some domestic capacity, that if we had a situation like this, if we had a pandemic, that we wouldn't be as dependent on, on other countries. So where do you trace these, these failures back to? Well, I have to trace it back to the federal government, really. Um, and, you know, this has been happening uh, over the last few years. I mean, if you go back 15 years, the, the country had a pandemic plan. Um, and part of that plan was to make sure we had a vaccine. And that's why GlaxoSmithKline had the contract to deliver a, uh, an H1N1 vaccine. And we did that. And we came out of that and we had come out of SARS and we said, OK, every, everybody, including the federal government, Public Health Canada said, Okay, we've learned our lesson. We need to make sure that we ha are prepared for the next pandemic. And part of that preparation needs to be that we have do domestic vaccine capability. Because during H1N1, we only had GSK, Glaxo. And even I, as president of Glaxo, said, this isn't a good situation. We need more than one domestic supplier in these situations. So we all agreed on that. Government said, yeah, yeah, we got to do that. And they didn't do it. You know, and... and I don't know what happened to the pandemic plan uh, that they developed, but if you look across all the mistakes that have been made around this pandemic, you know, all of that was covered in the pandemic plan. You know, the PPE stockpile, uh, the intelligence network, which would have told us uh, more about what was happening globally. I mean, there were a lot of mistakes made, and I think it's just fundamentally a problem at the federal level in their ability to plan and implement a plan. It, this isn't rocket science, you know. They right. they should have been do, they should have done better. Canadians deserve a lot better than what what we've had to go through. Now, you know, you mentioned that. I mean, you know, GlaxoSmithKline does have some some capacity in that sense. Even Sanofi. I mean, Sanofi has a, a facility in Toronto. The company has reached out to partner with Pfizer, but it doesn't sound as though the Toronto plant is is necessarily a part of those plans. So, why are we able to to at least maximize what's here? What what needs to be done? Do you think? Well, again, I think poor vision and poor. Uh poor objective setting uh, by the federal government around uh, pandemic preparedness. You know, I remember after the last pandemic, I went to the, the global GSK uh, operation and they were willing to build a cell culture facility, which probably would have been able to produce these mRNA vaccines, but nobody was interested. You know, and, and frankly, we were asking the government to fund that. Uh, to ensure that Canada had that capability. And I believe Sanofi did a similar thing. Now, we were both trying to increase capacity in Canada, but recognized that, you know, if, if Canada wanted that domestic capability, the government of Canada had to kick in. And, of course, they didn't want to do it. But now they're throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at it, and we should have done that, we should have done that years ago. 
Yeah, I, I think they've they've uh, thrown 170 million or so at uh, Medicago, which is working right. on a vaccine. But the, you know that that's capacity that's two or three years out is is my understanding, right? And we we kind of got a situation in the meantime. You know, it's interesting. It we we look yeah we look back at last year, and I mean, obviously, we've learned more about this this deal the government struck with that CanSino and the Chinese government that that kind of fell apart on them. Uh, you know, we've got Providence Therapeutics, an upstart company in Calgary and Toronto that's now finally into phase one clinical trials. But they're saying, you know, the government was ignoring us. We were knocking on their door last year saying we can do this. We can develop this capacity. They partnered with a company, Northern RNA, that says, you know, we can make these these vaccines. So it seems like maybe at some level, part of it is hostility from the government towards so-called big pharma but also just maybe not a willingness to to embrace the industry, to look at the upstarts. What's your sense? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Rob. You know, there's a couple of issues there. One is, and I wrote about this in my uh, opinion piece, is that there is no relationship between uh, the federal government, the federal liberal governments of of past day and current day, and the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, the the Federal Liberal Party of Canada chose to support the generic sector and to the detriment of the innovative sector. And now we're paying the price for that. I think the, you know, I think the other piece of it is that, uh, and somebody you know, you know of from Alberta, Preston Manning, once said to me, he said, you know, there's only five people that he could count on one, you know, on one hand in the Parliament of Canada that knows anything about science. And those anything about, you know, pharmaceutical related science or life sciences. So, you know, this government doesn't know anything about life sciences and pharmaceuticals and vaccines. And they don't know what's going on in the country. And I think the Providence example is a good one. There's been another one recently as well because they're not They haven't focused on it. You know, the life sciences pharmaceutical sector is not a strategic industry for Canada. Isn't that crazy i mean you know hopefully we've learned but we haven't minister baines who's the outgoing innovation and industry minister he just went through a process to identify the key industries for canada going forward post-pandemic pharmaceuticals and life sciences wasn't on his final list <laughs> you know and wow. and it needs to be this needs to be a strategic industry for canada because we not only have a problem around vaccine capability Virtually over 90% of all our pharmaceuticals are manufactured outside the country now, and most of them are in China. So we are very vulnerable on all of our uh, essential medicines as well as vaccines. So, you know, the the government of Canada needs to, you know, really make a, a right turn here and say, look, this industry is critical to our future, critical to the next pandemic. It's got to be strategic, and we're going to work with this industry and encourage it as opposed to make it very difficult to operate in Canada. What about the sense of urgency right now? Because it feels like the government's sort of hoping for the best in terms of hoping for the best in terms of what Pfizer is able to offer, hoping for the best in terms of how the Americans or Europeans respond to the situation. I mean, is, is there anything we can do in the short term? Or are we kind of stuck with the mistakes of the past? Yeah, Rob, I think I think we are. I think we're stuck with what we've got. I, I don't think, you know, unless the Americans say, you know, we'd really like to help you out in Canada and send you 10 million doses, which I, I would find, it, you know, it would be almost impossible for them to do that, even though they've got hundreds of millions of doses on their plate. 
know, yeah. they, they wouldn't be politically, it'd be hard to do that. So we are stuck with 6 million doses of vaccine between now and the end of March. And after all the noise and all the discussion uh, and all the good news that, you know, we got early approval and so on and so forth, the reality is we've got 6 million doses between now and March and nothing is going to change that um, that I can see. All right, well, we'll leave it there. Paul, thanks so much for the insight on all of this. So let people know as well, uh, the paper you wrote last month, it's up at CanadianHealthPolicy.com. So much more on, on these issues here and, and really needs to be a wake-up call, I think, for our governments. But thanks so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate this. Okay, good, Rob. Good to be with you. Likewise. Take care. Uh, that is Paul Lucas, uh, former president and CEO at GlaxoSmithKline, has uh, uh, certainly uh, devoted a lot of time now to writing about, talking about uh, our policy in this area and helping us understand where we've dropped the ball. Or, well, I say we. <laughs> kind of lets the government off the hook, doesn't it? Where they dropped the ball. So, yeah, we are in a position now of kind of hoping for the best. And it, look, I mean, there are circumstances in which outside forces can kind of come to the government's rescue here. But that's the situation we're in. All right, 403-974-8255 is the number here. We'll have some time for your phone calls uh, on this topic. A lot more to get to this afternoon. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.